welcome to Transforming Minds, Transforming Lives, a podcast series of RCCG Living Spring Pittsburgh. Stay tuned for our senior pastor, Boyga Esson. I share the topic, Entering God's Rest, Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from all works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Uh, the Bible talks about the Israelites that God was taking them to a place of rest. Of course, he brought them out of Egypt, which stood for captivity. He was taking them to Canaan. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is the promised land. He promised them they will eat bread without scarceness. I will give you a land that flows with milk and honey. I will give you security. I mean, wonderful promises that you will see that he gave them. But sadly enough, they got to the brink of destiny. They got to the boundary of Canaan, and they refused to enter. That they turned back, and all of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, in that generation, died in the wilderness. Everything was planned out for them, just for them to just hold on to God, to believe and to obey. You know, they refused to, and they all perished. They all perished in the wilderness. You see, God's plan is for us to experience rest, to experience peace. It doesn't matter how crazy the world is. You know, the Lord's prayer prays that as it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. How does it look like in heaven? There's no scarcity in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. So God's will is to return us back to Eden. Eden was a place of rest for Adam and Eve. It was a place of rest for them. But fortunately, the saint, Satan, came into the picture and everything changed. But paradise was lost. Rest was lost. But rest is also regained in Christ. For in Adam, all died. In Christ, all shall be made alive. So God's plan is for the individual Christian to live Eden on earth. Because your testimony is your Eden. In other words, if you can experience God, like Adam experienced God, you can experience peace of God, rest, prosperity. Your children are doing well after you. They're like olive plants round about your table. If you can truly live the blessed life, it will be very, very easy for people to follow you to Jesus or follow you to church. You may not realize it, but somebody is observing your life. I keep saying that. Somebody is x-raying your life. They know you come to church regularly. They know you call the name of Jesus. They observe your life. And God's plan is for you to be an epistle to other people. It's for you to be an aroma, an aroma of grace. That when people see your life, they say, ah, there's something good in this guy. I want to follow him. Somebody was sharing with me that someone came from a polygamous family, and of course, they had all kinds of issues going on in a whole branch of the family. Our mother was so worried, so distressed, and the mother took them to everywhere possible, just for security. Took them to the voodoo priest, took them to the herbalists, took them to pastors, to prophets, and everywhere they get, they always give them something, or they always put a mark on their head, just for security. Because their mother was afraid that look, in this polygamous setup, my children may die. So this lady gave her life to Christ. She became born again. And she told her mom, no more gallivanting all over the place, seeking for security, where there's no security. And the mom was so distressed, she was so worried, that, ah, you mean you're not going to use all these things anymore, you know? But when they realized she didn't fall here, she didn't die, she was making progress, very soon, all the family joined her. 
and they stop gallivanting all over the place looking for solution where there is no solution. That is God's plan for you to be a testimony in your family, for you to be a testimony in that workplace, for you to be a testimony in that market. That is God's plan. Nothing but God's plan. You see, talk is cheap, but nobody can disprove results. When you have results by the grace of God, when you actually leave this Christian life out for people to see, you know, it's not so much about somebody who's carrying the mic. I carry the mic here every Sunday. But believe me, somebody sitting down there, somebody listening to me, may actually get a better reward in heaven than I do. Because it's not so much about preaching, it's about leaving it out. So when God says, come into my rest, when there's pandemonium in the world, if you know what I mean, in other words, if there's no difference between you and the unbelievers, if you are worrying like they worry, if you are anxious like they are anxious, if you are restless as they are restless, then where is the testimony? Where is the testimony? Who can you convince when you talk the same way they talk? You know, you behave the same way they behave? Then your life lacks conviction. Your life is just like their own life. So it's not so much about what you say, but what you are doing. It's not so much about what you say, but what you believe. The values you have instilled in you, the values you have inculcated and instilled in you, that is what matters. That is what matters. These people got to the boundary. They got to the brink of destiny. They turned back. Look at that. God brought them out of Egypt. I keep saying that. He couldn't take Egypt out of them. Their thinking didn't change. It was a mixed crowd, I understand, but their thinking didn't change. The way they saw God never changed. After so many miracles, it got so bad, God counted that, look, you've offended me ten times. When God begins to count your sin, then you truly know you're a sinner. Amen? Because normally he doesn't count sins. But when he begins to count your sin, then you are in big time trouble. He said, look, ten times! You keep on doing the same thing over and over. You disobey me. You rebel against Moses. You grumble. You murmur. You complain. Any little obstacle, you've gone bonkers. Say, I'm not going to do this anymore, Moses. Moses began to intercede again. Say, Lord, <laughs> if you kill them all, the enemy nations will say, ah, he couldn't get them into Canaan. That's why he killed them all. He began to intercede again. But by and large, over time, it was just Joshua and Caleb who made it. It's my prayer you will make it. It's my prayer I will make it. In the mighty name of Jesus, and every streak of unbelief, every streak of rebellion in us, God will smash it in the mighty name of Jesus. It's all about the kind of life we live. Anybody can go with the tack, Christian. But it's the life you live. And people are looking at you, believing sincerely, they're observing you. They observe us all the time. Unbelievers. You know. Well, I have the first point here that Peter was asleep in the face of imminent danger. How can somebody in the face of serious danger be at rest? It's only God that can make that happen. The Bible says there's a river, the strips you shall make glad the city of God. It says God is in the midst of her. You know, the Bible also says that we have this treasure and earthen vessels, it's out of our belly shall flow rivers of living waters. So where the Spirit of God is there in good measure, he has a way of placating you, he has a way of encouraging you, he has a way of inspiring you, he has a way of assuring you. Say so there's a river, the streams of that river that flows into the city of God, that's the security of the city. Say, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Say, look, God is our refuge. is our strength. is a very present help in time of trouble. Say, even though the hearth be removed, even though the mountains, they quake and they fall into the sea. Say, even though there's pandemonium. Say, look, there's a place of rest. So Peter was about to be killed. Act of the Apostles, chapter 12, verse 6. Bible says the night before Peter was replaced on trial, he was fast asleep, fasting with two chains between two soldiers. Herod had captured James, the brother of John, and beheaded him. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. And when he saw that the Jews were pleased, 
you know, grab a disciple, killed him. And people were happy about it. He now went to now grab the pastor of the church and put him in jail. That shortly after, he will put him on trial and then kill him. But the Bible says in the face of imminent danger, Peter was fast asleep. If when the angel came, you had to wake him up. The chains fell off. He thought he was in a trance, in a dream, until they passed about three gates. That was when he realized that, look, this is for real. But the lesson is that he was asleep in the face of imminent danger. Jonah told the mariners, Jonah, the guy was running away from God. God said, look, go and preach in Nineveh. He faced Tashish. Because of that, God created a storm for the boats. And the people were worried. They realized it was a problem. And they said, look, cast me into the sea. He volunteered that, look, cast me into the sea. How can somebody be so assured? I mean, that is faith. Yes, I know it was God that sent him on an island, but it was going the other way around. But because he trusted God's character, there's something about trusting God's character, even in the face of imminent danger. He said, look, cast me into the sea. And the reason for the problem, he was willing, and they eventually cast him into the sea, and he was so confident that the sea would not swallow him up. It was a whale that God sent to swallow him. And he was there in the belly of the way for three days, three nights, interceding. That is somebody who knows God. Those who know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Amen. Bible says, because we have said the Lord before us, we shall not be moved. What moves you? When you show God I'm not moved, you are telling God I have confidence in you. Say, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted. You know, when you begin to worry, when there's no reason to worry, you are telling God I don't have confidence in you. You know, so you have confidence in God's character. You have confidence in his competence. And when you say, Lord, I trust you despite it all, you are telling me, Lord, you are a God of integrity. So when we say faith, it's like you are telling God, I'm assured of you. I know whom I've believed. And those that know their God shall be strong. They will not be easily swayed, easily moved. Another point I have here is that our call is a call to rest. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, say, come to me, all you who labor that every laden, and I will give you rest. Amen? Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle, lonely in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our call to Jesus is a call to rest. I just told you about somebody that, uh, because she came from a polygamous home, her mother was all over the place, seeking for security for them. She came to Christ, she gave her life to Christ, and she found rest. And through her, other family members also found rest. So our call, the call to salvation is a call to rest. So if you are still so pressed, despite it all, maybe you are not resting. And that's not good. It's not good for your testimony. It doesn't matter what kind of pressure you are going through. It could be academic pressure. It could be financial pressure. It could be any pressure you are going through. You have to demonstrate and display rest. You have to display confidence in God that, Father, I know you will bail me out. I know that we may endure for a night, but joy will surely come in the morning. You have to learn to rest. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 said, Now therefore, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Because God called us to peace, called us out of the darkness of this world into his own marvelous light to follow his own son, Jesus Christ. We relocated from darkness to light. We are members, children of the kingdom of light. So we have peace with God, we have peace of God. Matthew chapter 4 verse 16, Matthew chapter 4 verse 16, when the angel was announcing the birth of Jesus, said, look, those who sit in darkness, say, now they have found the great light. Said, rejoice not over me, O my enemies, even though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Our God is light, our God is salvation. Because of him, we are not perturbed. 
And of course, the Psalms are very, very good. When you want to assure your heart, when you want to rekindle that confidence in God, the Psalms are very, very good. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 to 3, that the reason why some people, the gospel is not profiting them is because it's not mixed with faith in those who had it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, Hebrews 4, 2, but the word which they had did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who had it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. So it is by faith we enter into rest. Even the Israelites, even though they saw so much of God's handiwork, they couldn't believe God still. When they saw the giants in Canaan, they were perturbed. They forgot all the miracles. They forgot all the past testimonies. They were worried. They said, look, those guys will eat us up. We were just like hands, grasshopper before them. That was clear case of unbelief. But you see, this is so true. What actually gives faith is the word of God. You can pray and be a prayer warrior. But if you don't have a good measure of the word of God in you, you will still worry. I've seen many prayer warriors. They can pray for money tonight. But after the prayer sessions, the next thing they're going to demonstrate is unbelief. It's the word. The word is the food for the soul. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's the word that gives us revelation. The Bible calls the scriptures the sure word of prophecy. So God is God. He has exalted his word above his name. So if you are going to do this thing well, God's word is promises. Because it is actually those promises that guarantee us rest. So the word didn't profit them because it didn't mix with faith in their hearts. Man's tradition messes up God's word many times. So it is the word that would knock the strongholds down in your system. It is the word that will assure your heart where you keep on focusing on the word. So the call is a call to rest. Also part of the rest is also eternal rest. We will rest here by the grace of God. But the main thing is the eternal rest. You will rest and when your time is up and your time will be far, 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 amen, you will live out your full essence, then you also enter into bliss. That will be your testimony and my testimony in Jesus' mighty name. Also, there's a law of rest. I told you about Peter. He wasn't perturbed in the face of imminent danger. I told you our call is a call to rest. It's called us to rest. And of course, there's a law of rest. Because even God by himself rested. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So God himself rested after working six days. Not because he was tired but because he was showing us a model. After working so hard, you rest. If you haven't worked so hard, you don't deserve rest. Some people rest more than working. Better to work much more than resting. So also, yes, he called us to rest. But even Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was working. He was very busy. So rest doesn't mean passivity. It doesn't mean inactivity. It doesn't mean complacency. It doesn't mean being dormant. Amen? There's a law of rest. And Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, one of the Ten Commandments is that, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, and so on and so forth. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. You see, just like God wants a part of your income, he also wants a part of your time. That's all this Sabbath. Say, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Say, God blessed the Sabbath day, he hallowed it. Say, it is my own day. 
So God always wants a piece of our lives. Just like he wants a piece, a part of your income, he also wants a part of your time. There's a law of Sabbath. And even Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1 to 2, just to buttress my point again, Leviticus 25, 1 to 2, while Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, give the full instructions to the people of Israel. Where you have entered the land and given you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. So God said to Moses, instruct the Israelites, when you enter the promised land, say six years you can plow the land, you can plant and harvest and do all this, but the seventh year, leave the land alone. Leave the, let the land be uncultivated for one year because the land should also yield. When it's uncultivated, left alone for one year, the power of the land will come back and it will produce much better than it's been producing. So there's always a law of rests. In other words, when you've overworked your body and your body is telling you rest, <laughs> you better gain sense and rest. You know what can go wrong with God's word? God has designed into creation rest. Amen? So that's why we should be encouraged to also rest. There's also a place of rest, and this is actually interesting. In 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4, 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4, already on the fourth point, there's a place of rest. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There's neither adversary nor evil occurrence. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 to 2. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in the house of Cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. In other words, Solomon testified that God has given him rest on all sides. Do you know, some people just believe that this life is a life of hassles. That life is hard. And when you have that kind of mentality, believe me, life will be hard. Because we do life from the inside out. As a man thinketh, it is that so easy. Some people are just worried like Job. Job was a rich man. He had security, he had everything. But he was just worried for his children. That somehow they will go wrong and they will be afflicted. So the things I feared most eventually came upon me. So there was a loophole. There was a gap Satan casting on. Yes, God granted him permission. But Job also exemplified unbelief. Some people just believe life is hard. And when you believe life is hard, life will be hard. Some people just believe they are cursed because of where they are coming from, that they have to struggle, they have to work hard, that if it takes another person five days to make something work, their own will be five years. It's a mindset. Yes, I know experiences shape mindsets, but that's the whole essence of becoming a Christian. So if you have this nauseous way of thinking, which is actually opposed to the word of God, let God be true. Let every man be a liar. Let your experience of life be a liar. Let God be true. God said, I prepared for you a land of milk and honey. You can be a prayer juggernaut. But if your mind doesn't align with the prayers you are praying, it's a waste of exercise. We cannot overemphasize our mindsets. I beg you, let the word of God shape your thinking. Give yourself rest. Chill. God is on the throne. Every man for himself, God for us all. Even the prophet that is telling you, I have your solution. Even him is looking up to God. They will not tell you. They will appear braggadocious. But even the prophet is crying to God for mercy. God will help us. So the Bible says, be diligent. That's the fifth point to enter God's rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11. So let us do our best to enter that rest. For if we disobey God, people of Israel did, we will fail, we will fall. Uh, the songwriter says, when we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who we trust and obey. 
trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus or to trust and obey. So that's the whole summary of it. They didn't enter the promise because they didn't trust and because they didn't obey. But be diligent. The Bible says if you turn back, God will not have pleasure in you. So living by faith is not a struggle. It is rest. When you learn to live by faith, it is rest. And you can enter God's rest in every area of your life. Every area. You can have rest maritally. You can have rest materially. Have rest financially. You can experience rest spiritually. You can have rest in the town. Have rest in the city. Everywhere you can have rest. You just have to just believe. Because when you are restful in times of stress, you are telling God, I believe you. Entering God's rest is having implicit trust in his character and his ability. We are partners with God. He has his own part to play. We have our part. When we do our part, we can be rest assured he will do his own part. Your part is to trust. Your part is to obey. Any prayer that you are praying at all that places all the responsibility on God and God alone, that's irresponsible. Many times when you are praying, God will also tell you to do something. Many times. Entering into God's rest is maintaining a worry-free lane. You know, when you see athletes, they are running. If you go to another person's lane, you are disqualified. So it's not as if money will not come, but we maintain, we stay in lane. If worry comes, we check it out. We don't get into worry lane. We refuse to. Rest is not inactivity or passivity. Rest is enjoying God while you do life. Rest is allowing God to be God in all areas of your life. It then depicts God's rest. Note, Adam had a job of taking care of the garden. So Eden is a clear case of God's rest. So God says, trust in me, and I will say to you. God says, if you believe, you will see the glory of the Lord. And that's just the truth of the Bible. So please, what is agitating your mind? Don't be agitated. God is up there. Whatever you are trusting God for, you have prayed for, if it's not happening, let it go. You see, I've known that God does something, and this is true, because man's extremity is his opportunity. When you pray, pray, pray over a particular matter, and you say, Lord, well, it's all up to you, Lord, it's up to you. Believe me, it's at that point of surrender, that's where you see God come through. Because your extremity is God's opportunity. Yes, God can stretch, but God is a good father. At times you stretch your children, you want them to build capacity, and when you realize they can't take it anymore, you let go. Be rest assured. Be calm. Chill. And God will surely surprise you. He will also surprise me as well. Thank you for listening. And make sure you subscribe for more great podcasts.